This is One on One's NHL Podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Another edition of Five on Three, Jackson Heil, Chris Hennessy, free agency edition. And Chris, as always, the first few days of free agency are a frenzy, that's for sure. Usually it's almost the first 10 hours like it was last year. I mean, I, I read something early on already that in the first 10 hours of free agency last year, there was more money spent than in the first two days of free agency this year, which obviously effects of a global pandemic, understandable. And there was a lot more available last summer, but still a crazy first two days of free agency and lots of moving pieces. Alex Petrangelo, the big piece finally falling. He goes out to Vegas, Tory Krug to St. Louis, Taylor Hall signing a one-year deal in Buffalo that's something that we're certainly going to talk about. Uh, Jacob Markstrom to Calgary. Lots of weird trades. Josh Anderson and Max Domi trading places. But before we get into all of that, Chris, obviously exciting that free agency is here. But let's address the elephant in the room right away with the locals. And we'll start with the New York Islanders. And kind of a bizarre trade. I, I don't really know how else to say it. Devontae's ends up going to Colorado for a pair of second-round picks and I'm going to let you get into this, but I'm going to just add my piece quickly first. Weird and bad trade for the New York Islanders, in my opinion. And you obviously have to think that there's something coming up after this. And yes, there's a lot of money that needs to be given out to Matt Barzell, Ryan Pulak, yada, yada, list goes on. But this was, in terms of value, this was a swing and miss for the New York Islanders. And I get there was leverage going against them given that they had to move salary out and that they probably weren't close to a deal. But Devontae is a really good player, a a really good player. I mean, I I would argue that he is a low tier one, possibly if at worst he is a high tier second left-handed defenseman. But I, I don't, this, I don't agree with this trade in any fashion if I am an Islanders fan and I, I would like to hear your perspective on it. I couldn't agree more. Um, Devontae's is a player who I would put on the untouchables list on the New York Islanders. He's obviously not on the New York Islanders anymore. He's out in Colorado. But if you, you know, three days ago said make the list of untouchables for the Islanders, it's, you know, Barzell, Brock, Lee, Eberly, Bo, Bailey, Pulak, Taze. That's probably it. Maybe Pelic. And Taze gets traded. Now look. They only have $8 million in cap space. They just locked up Pajot long-term. They're going to have to lock up Barzell. So I guess you will, when you look at those three guys who are RFAs, Barzell, Pulak, and Taze, you have to make a decision. And if you're going to have to decide between the three of them, Taze is the guy who has to go. In that sense, I get it. But in the sense of being the New York Islanders, I don't get it. Because the New York Islanders, for the last seven, eight years, haven't had a ton of players who, when they were in Bridgeport, made as much noise as Devontae's. Devontae's was that guy when when you looked at Islanders' Twitter things or articles, it was like, this is the guy who our defense is going to rely on in the future. He was a fourth-round pick. He went to Quinnipiac. Um, he's obviously not a local kid. He's from Vancouver. But, you know, and he went to Quinnipiac local, played for Bridgeport, fourth-round pick, ends up being the top defenseman on Bridgeport for years. 
finally gets called up to the big leagues two years ago and was really played incredible for his entire Islander career. And when players like Kiefer Bellows, Oliver Walsher, Michael Dow Cole, Josh Hosang, Sebastian Ajo, I can go on and name a thousand more people, flop after flop after flop after flop, and it looks like we finally got one that was going to be a number one defenseman on this team for the next 10 years, to trade him away for two second-round picks is is pitiful. It really is. And I, I just don't see the reason to do it. I just don't see the reason to take, get second-round picks that aren't going to amount to anything, most likely, because it, the NHL draft is, is, is what it is. It's a crapshoot. I mean, they drafted guys who are in high school and aren't going to play for this team for six years if they ever play in the NHL. And unless those picks get traded away in an effort to get Johnny Johnny Boychuk's contract, excuse me, off the books, Leo Komarov's contract off the books, then it makes no sense to me. And the fact that this was two days ago and there's been no subsidiary moves to fill the hole that Devontae's leaves, to sign Matt Barzell long-term, to get offensive help in the form of Evgeny Danov or Mike Hoffman, to trade away Johnny Boychuk, it makes no sense to me. And the whole offseason was about the number one thing that it sounded really like they were going to do was trade away Johnny Boychuk to open up cap room and let Noah Dobson take that place. Well, now if you trade away Johnny Boychuk, you're now out two defensemen, and Noah Dobson's only one person. So now who's going to fill that second one? So now, it, so now you have five defense. You now have six, but assuming they trade away Boychuk, you have five defensemen. You have a gaping hole in the scoring for the upteenth year in a row that Mike Hoffman's still out there. Getty Dadnov isn't anymore, and you lost arguably your best defenseman. So what did you just accomplish? You accomplished getting two second round picks. Like what? What does that do? That doesn't help me. Two games away from the Eastern Conference Finals, and now they're trading away their best defenseman. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And the Islanders have almost buried themselves in this situation too. And I think that's a thing that probably has to be the most frustrating thing because yeah, obviously they bring Lee back last year, but that's a big contract that I think was going to hurt them down the road regardless. And Lee is fine now, but two, three years down the road, that contract's going to hurt them. But the big contracts that are hurting them, like you said, Boychuk specifically, the Leo Komarov contract is going to hurt them this year specifically. And there are plenty of others to go off to. Nick Letty's fine, but again, I don't think anyone is in particularly in love with that contract as well. I, I want to talk about Lou Lamarillo for a second because I was not a fan of the Islanders bringing him in here. And yes, his tenure here has been successful thus far, but I think really the only good thing that Lou Lamarillo has done since becoming the general manager of the New York Islanders was hiring Barry Trotz. And that's a terrific move in itself. And that deserves a lot of credit because Barry Trotz, I think, has proved himself as arguably the best coach in the NHL. And Lou deserves credit for that. But from a personnel standpoint, Lou Lamarillo has done a bad job as New York Islanders general manager. I'm just going to say it, plain and simple. Um, well, I yes, he brought in J.J. Paget, which is fine. But here, just let me finish real quick. Yeah. The pieces that he has brought in have not really been the pieces that have been major contributors here. It's similar to what happened with him in Toronto. The main pieces that were successful in Toronto were the ones that were already there before he got there or ones that fell into his lap, particularly Austin Matthews with the number one overall pick. The pieces that are having success here for the Islanders, Matt Barzell already here, uh, Bavillier already here, Brock Nelson already here, 
And the guys on defense who you mentioned before um, in Devontae's who was already here, so many of the guys that are here and being successful and making contributions were here well before Lou Lamarillo already got here. The guys that he brought in, let's just be honest. Let's look at them. Matt Martin, who is fine on the fourth line, but again, nothing special and not a huge contributing factor to this Islanders team success. Leo Komarov, who's been terrible. I mean, who else has he really brought in that has been a major difference maker? Derek Broussard, maybe? Is that is that the most successful guy he's brought well, in? Pa- Other Pajot. than J.G. Pajot. Other than Pajot, of course. But Lou Lamarillo, I, I would argue Lou Lamarillo has not done a good job here if you remove the fact they hired Barry Trotz. You can't remove that fact because it's the biggest piece of the Islander success story so far. But I, I think a lot of general managers would have brought Barry Trotz in. And that's the thing that would frustrate me the most as an Islander fan with Lou Lamarillo right now, because he doesn't seem to have a sense of direction when it comes to personnel. And that has to be frustrating. I think that's completely fair. I think some of the things we have to look at is yes, a ton of these players are drafted by by Garth Snow. You're not going to catch me being a Garth Snow defender, but that's just a fact. Last off season, making a run at Artemi Panarin, just even being in the conversation to get on Artemi Panarin is otherworldly for the New York Islanders. To re-sign Lee, to re-sign Nelson, to re-sign Eberle. Three guys who, two of them were drafted here. Eberle obviously wasn't. Eberle had that great playoffs. Nelson's probably their best centerman, and Lee is the captain of the team. To re-sign all three of those guys, keep the core together after what was really just one playoff series win, um, I liked a lot. But I think all in all, you're right. And I think that more praise for this core, for this run, goes to ownership than it does to Lula Amarillo. Because Lula Amarillo can sit there and say, I want Barry Trotz to be the, the head coach of my hockey team. I can sit there and say that. That's not hard, that hard to figure out. It's ownership giving him the money to go hire Barry Trotz to be the head coach of the hockey team. That really put it over the edge. Because, you know, anybody can look at a, can look at a hockey game and say, that guy knows what he's doing and that guy doesn't. And say that Barry Trotz is the guy who knows it and Jack Capriano is the guy who does or Doug Waite, excuse me, is the guy who doesn't. Um, so I think that um, is, is a little bit, you know, more on ownership than Lou. But I think re-signing those guys was a really good mark on him because that's not something that um, previous regimes have exactly been fantastic at. Jonathan Ayers. Um, but – it's but even even Tavares Lamarillo was here technically we tried to bring him back. It was technically with him. you're right but it was it was a it was nine years of a dumpster fire what was the quote from CNN a, a train wreck inside of a garbage can on a on fire or whatever it was <laughs> uh for for John Tavares before Lou was there for 45 seconds offering him contracts so um yeah I think that there is certainly room to improve with Lou but to me, it, this Taze trade is the first one where I look at it and I just say, what what are we doing here? Like, the Komarov deal was terrible, but it was three hours after they lost to Vettors and the team was supposed to be, in quotes, awful the next season, right? So they're just like, oh, let's just fill the rest of this roster and be terrible. And it was Leo Komarov that was like, wow, they're actually pretty good, and this guy's just a waste of space. Uh, the Broussard deal, uh, he's already off the books, so it's like he had one solid season and now he's – free agent again so it's like yeah okay fine and you're not going to catch any Matt Martin hate from me um because he you... doesn't deserve hate I, I want to just clarify that right. Martin doesn't deserve hate but in terms of like key contributors he's certainly not one no, that you I mean point he, to. Yeah, he's not going to score 20 goals but 
He's a New York Islander, but um, not anymore. But yeah, I think the Komarov deal is terrible. Paying Michael Dalcole to be an NHL player, which he's simply not, is terrible. Um, and having to de- and putting yourself in a position to have to decide between three of your untouchable players, which one you're going to ship out of town for nothing, is not a desirable situation to be in. But look, I I just hope that they're able to improve on what they did last year and. If they can't, that trade will be at the core of people saying, well, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I think he gets a free pass – not a free pass because I I hate this trade. But I think it's almost like, okay, the trade stinks. We all love Devon, but let's put it down and let's just see what happens this year. Now, if they're out in the first round or they're out in the second round, if they don't get to where they were last year and improve on it, then we're going to look back and say, well, that Devon Chase trade was terrible and I can't get – I can't wait to launch Leo Comer out into the sun. But – Right now, we all we can say is this team was two wins away from the Stanley Cup final, and hopefully they can get there next year. That's really all we can say right now, although the trade, I hate the trade. A few more things before we shift really into what happened in free agency, because I, I do think this is an important topic with the Islanders, because I think it is a fair question to ask, has this team reached its ceiling? Um, and is it only downhill from here? And I'm not saying only downhill, but specifically – I don't know if this team can get back to the conference finals without adding from here because the Islanders have put themselves in such a bad situation financially that they're not really in a position to add at this point. Their addition was JG Pajot at the deadline last year and giving him a contract. That's pretty much around that because like you said, this is a team that essentially had $8 million for Matt Barzell, Ryan Pulak and Anthony Bavillier. Like that, that's where this Islanders team is at financially. Like, we can talk all we want about them trying to go get a score in Mike Hoffman or someone of that sort. The only way that's going to be done is if Lou can get creative in a trade. And I don't know how much I trust Lou Lamarillo to get creative in a trade right now. Like, do you really trust Lou to go out and make a right deal to get a Patrick Line or a Brock Besser of some sorts like that? I don't know. Brock Besser is not going to get traded. I don't think that's necessarily realistic. But my point, my point more here is that I don't see another route for them to add a score, which they desperately need. I think at least personally looking at I this Islanders roster. Right. Um, and, and I, I, cause they don't have the money to add a Mike Hoffman right now. They, they simply don't like Evgeny Dadanov just got signed by Ottawa today. There are not a lot. There's isn't a lot of room for this Islanders team to maneuver right now because of the financial things you brought up. And it was important that they did that because this team isn't where they were last year without the re-signing of Lee, the re-signing of Nelson, the re-signing of Eberle, like you mentioned. Um, and, and that makes me think or makes me question, is this the last year where this competitive window, not competitive window, but so-called championship window, because they proved to us last year that this team can compete for a Stanley Cup. Is this the last year where this window is really open before the finances really start to eat the Islanders up? Because let's be honest here, this might just be the start of the Islanders having to move out some of the guys who were key contributors last year. I mean, we can talk all we want about Devontae's and how crappy of a trade that was, but at what point do we start to reconsider the fact that they might have to move out another key contributor because they just have so much money tied up in so many different places? That's the question I would be asking. And before I I really put this on you, because I, I don't think their competitive window is going to close because when you have Barry Trotz, 
you're going to always be in a spot where you're contending for a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. But my, my one last thing before I shift this over to you is that my one rule of thumb in the NHL is that if it, there's two teams you really shouldn't be trading with in the NHL. One is Colorado, first of all. Actually, I'll make it three. Colorado, Vegas, and Tampa. If those teams are asking for your guys, you really should reconsider, take a look in the, in the mirror, and ask, what are we missing with this guy? Because those guys, those teams seem to always take advantage in trades. And specifically, look at Colorado's offseason. I mean, they turned Nikita Zadorov into Brandon Saad, who I think is going to be a marvelous fit there. Absolutely. And I mean, great fit in that top six and just adds some even more scoring depth. And they replaced Zadorov with Devontae, who we've been talking about as essentially a top pairing defenseman. And you put him with Kale McCarr, that's a top five pairing in the yeah. NHL, without a yeah. doubt. So my, my one rule of thumb for many NHL GMs is don't trade with those three teams. And for many other GMs, the best way to win is to trade with the bad ones. Hence, Mark Bergevin. Yes. Hence, plenty others. I can go down the list, but um, well, it's that, how the that should be the rule. It's how the Islanders started getting successful was trading with Peter Torelli. It's how they have yeah. Bovillier, Bovillier, Barzell, and um, – Jordan Everly. But I think what you're talking about the window, I I don't want to do this, right? Because this is the most successful run of Islander hockey in my life. And I want it to go on forever. And I never want to think of a world where Casey Zizekas isn't a New York Islander, as you very well know, but he's a free UFA after next year. Anthony Beauvillier is an RFA again next year. Michael Del Cole, he can go. Adam Pellick is an RFA after next year. My Adam Pellick's only getting paid $1.6 million, was the best defenseman on this team that just went to the Eastern Conference Finals. If you think you're paying him $1.6 million after this contract, you're an insane person. And who's the best forward on that team? Probably Anthony Bavillier for a large portion of the postseason. Yeah, Brock, Brock and Bo were the best two yeah. on the team. And I, I every day, that every goal that Nelson scored, that contract looked like more of a steal. Um, and thank God he was a free agent last year and not this year because he probably would, he probably would have had to walk too. Um, but look, this, no team, especially this year where we talk about the global pandemic a lot, but it's just a reality, you know, the cap stayed flat and a lot of the, the, um, contracts were backloaded. If you look at a lot of them, it was, you know, 4 million annual average, 1 million this year, 3 million next year, or, you know, whatever, 2 million average, 1 million, 3 million. So the cap stayed flat. They didn't have an increase as they do usually. So it was tough, and, and, and I guess they just had to make this decision. And, and I guess Noah Dawson's the guy now, but he's an RFA in two years. Like, is he going to stay? Because this cap is going to be who, – who the heck knows? It, it's, it's not looking great on the cap-friendly side of, of the internet for the Islanders, but if you just look at, you know, they had a really good season last year. They're going to return all of their top six forwards. Um, they're going to turn all of their forwards pretty much except for Matt Martin, who still not officially, but has apparently signed with, uh, Montreal losing taste stinks, but they're getting Elias Sorokin. who's supposed to be this all world stud goalie that we still haven't seen play in the NHL. And he's 25 years old odd, but we'll see how it goes. So there's still reason to be hopeful for next season. I don't want to make it sound like I'm all poo poo. They're going to miss the playoffs. I do think they're going to make the playoffs still, but I do want to see a little bit more aggressiveness from Lou with these two picks he just got for one of his best players. 
Fair enough. And lots of fair concerns involving the Islanders. And again, don't think they planned it out this way. A lot of people thought that this cap was going to keep rising. And as they should have, I don't think anyone saw a global pandemic interrupting this. But unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation for a lot of teams, including the New York Islanders. So we'll see what direction will they go in. We didn't even talk about a potential Matt Barzell offer sheet, which who knows if that'll happen. I don't see it coming because no one offers sheets anyone in the league. But with the Islanders' financial situation, it seems like it would make a lot of sense for a team who's really looking for a big-time upgrade. But we're not even going to go there because offer sheets are so hypothetical and they seemingly never happen in the NHL. Let's shift to free agency as a whole because it was a crazy first two days. Not as crazy as we've seen in the past, but still some big pieces moving. And, Chris, the biggest one being Alex Petrangelo to the Vegas Golden Knights who just continue to add to what is already an extremely deep and talented roster. Seven years, 8.8 average annual value. Um, I'm not going to call it a steal, but I I think Alex Petrangelo is one of the most underrated defensemen in the entire league. And it seemed for a while like he was moving on from St. Louis. Um, They made a final offer to him, but he ends up going the Vegas route. And I want to focus on something that he said in his Zoom call that pretty much it's universally accepted around the league right now that no one wants to play in a place more than Vegas right now. And who would have thought that three or four years ago when this was just a thought that a team would come to Vegas and be in the NHL? I mean, this was five years ago, the concept of a hockey team in Vegas didn't even exist. And now we're in 2020 And it's become essentially the most popular destination for free agents now. And I'm not saying it's the most popular, but we've seen plenty of stars go there. I'm not calling Paul Stasny a star, but high-quality players going there. Mark Stone, who was traded at the deadline but had the opportunity to go to free agents if he wanted to and instead signed an extension immediately. Mm -hmm. Petrangelo now. So many guys want to take this Vegas route. And it, it really, they deserve a ton of credit for building the foundation that they have. But I also think that a lot of criticism should go around the league to league's front offices to say, how did this happen so quickly? And how did we let this happen so quickly? Because building an expansion empire like this should not be this easy. It really shouldn't. I mean, this is a team that went to the Stanley Cup finals their first year and has consistently built off that to the point where they are now likely the favorites in the Western Conference going into next year, similar to how they were last year. And they are also in a position where they are one of the most desirable destinations for free agents to go. And that's not a bad thing. Vegas deserves a lot of credit for that. But the main reason this is the case is because they are good. They are good. They're competitive. They've been competitive every year. They've been to the postseason in each of the first three seasons that they've existed. And the fact that that has been allowed to happen by other NHL GMs, it's honestly a disgrace. It personally, I think it's a disgrace to front offices around the, around the league because we've seen how long it takes in other leagues, even the NHL for that matter. Even Minnesota and Columbus, yeah, they still yeah. have to figure it out. For teams to be this competitive, often expansion, it takes a lot of time. And for Vegas, just like that, they're in the Stanley Cup final in literally year one. That, that That is insane. And the reason this has happened 
is because other GMs around the league don't know what they're doing and have allowed Vegas to build this empire. And honestly, it's utterly ridiculous how this has happened. And it's not a bad thing for the league. It's not a bad thing for Vegas, but it is a real indictment on who is running hockey organizations around the NHL. And honestly, I I don't think Vegas deserves as much credit as they're getting because yeah, it's not easy to build an expansion team, but it was made easy by other organizations and it was made really easy. Yeah. uh, I don't disagree. I do think we have to give a little bit of credit to a couple of things. First of all, they've been very aggressive in getting these guys, right? They're paying them the top dollar. They're giving up draft picks and and top prospects to um, Ottawa in the Mark Stone trade. They're outpricing teams for Alex Petrangelo. Do you think we have to give some credit there? You have to give some credit to location, of course. People want to be in Vegas. People want to go to Vegas. I think one thing you have to give a lot of credit to, which might be underappreciated, maybe I'm overhyping it, is these fans really care. They are selling at that not anymore, obviously. Selling out that building every night. It's it's loud in there. It's I know going to the cup final in the first year helps. I, I know that. And if they stunk the first year, it'd probably be different. We'd probably be talking about, oh, you can't build a fan base in Vegas. Just like maybe you can't build, van, uh, build a fan base in Phoenix. But I think with great fans at a great rink, with this top dollar they're paying guys, you have, you have to appreciate that they have figured out a way to build – a hockey team in a place where hockey isn't played before four years ago. Uh, Vegas was never a, a hockey hotbed. There was one, like, I don't even think it was an AHL thing. It was like a junior team um, a thousand years ago. And, that, and that's it. So I think you have to give them a little bit of credit on that aspect. Now what you're saying on every blaming it on everybody else. Vegas is going to fall in a hole here financially because not all of these guys are going to last forever. Right. Mark Stone is locked up for an eternity. He's already 28 for $9.5 million a year. Petrangelo is going to be 37 by the time his contract expires, and he's going to pay $8.8 million a year. The best value on their team right now is probably Shea Theodore, 25 years old, at 5.2 mil through the 2024-2025 season. And there's a couple of contracts that, that, that you kind of look at a little funky. But for right now, I agree that they are the absolute favorites, certainly in the Pacific Division. They're right up there with Colorado as favorites in the West. You obviously can't can't sleep on Dallas after what they just did. But those three teams, certainly the favorites in the West. And this Petrangelo deal just proves more and more that this team is really really successful at figuring out a way to keep their guys and get free agents, which is hard to do in any league. And when you're four years old or three years, 27, yeah, four years old, as the Vegas Golden Knights are, it's extremely impressive. Um, you also talk about Robin Leonard signs a contract, five mil, five, five years, five mil per. So he sticks around um, in Vegas as well. And they're running out of cap space, but it doesn't matter when your team is that good. And, and they're able to put one of the best products on the ice in the Western Conference and, and will almost certainly win the Pacific next year. They certainly do. And I look at, Vegas right now and you mentioned it they, they deserve credit for building the culture that they did and, and building a hockey culture there and making Vegas a hockey town and and they deserve credit for that um because I I think that one of the big things that you mentioned is that 
Vegas became desirable because of the fans, because of the location, but that doesn't happen without them being good in year one immediately. And they, they didn't even have to go to the Stanley Cup for that to happen. They could have just made the playoffs, and I think it would have became an insane hockey town right away. But they built that themselves. Bill Foley deserves a ton of credit, like you said, for going out and spending the money and investing the resources that needed to be invested for this team to not only be competitive, but sustain a winning window for the next three or four years, because it's certainly open for that long, given that they have young talent, they have superstars who are right in the midst of their primes and locked up, no less, right now. George McPhee also deserves a ton of credit, too, because he's the guy that had to build this whole thing. But again, like you said, I think the best thing he did was just make moves with the worst GMs in hockey. And it shouldn't be that simple, but you have so many bad ones around the NHL that honestly, it's almost become that simple. So that's where I'm at with Vegas. And the fact that they have built this so quickly, they deserve a lot of credit for that. But I I think it's just as much an indictment of how bad the rest of the league is in terms of front office brain capacity than it is on what they've been able to do successfully. And honestly, I'm really curious to see how Seattle does because honestly, if, if these guys didn't learn the mistakes that were made from Vegas, I could see Seattle being good quickly if they get the right people in place. We also have to look at the rules for the expansion draft. They were different for Vegas than they were for Montreal, Columbus, Tampa, um, and Florida and all the other ones. Um, and that certainly helped them. But, yeah, I mean, highway robbery or Florida to get Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcia. So the trade for Mark Stone, the now Alex Petrangelo, and William signing Carlson, Mr. Pacioretty as the well. List goes, the list goes on and on about and it. Goes on and, on. and props to them. I mean, that means in your logic, which I don't think is flawed at all, that they have good people in their front office and they're on the green side of the NHL as opposed to the red side, which is filled with Peter Trilli, Mark Bergevin, and the Florida Panthers. It's ugly, but credit to Vegas. They bring in Petrangelo. They get better again. Um, Most puzzling deal to me, Taylor Hall to Buffalo um, on a one-year deal. If you're going on a one-year deal to build your value, I I think Buffalo might have been last on the list for me. Only if you're a winger would I say that it's not last on the list. Yeah. Play with Jack Eichel. And a a winger of that quality, too, nonetheless, because Hall will play with Eichel, but – um, that was interesting to me. I don't really want to spend too much time on it because I, I think likely Taylor Hall is probably only going to be a saver for about 40 games and then will likely get moved at the trade deadline. I agree with you. However, he has a full no trade, full no move, interesting. something like that. I can look it up right now. But I, when I saw that, it reeked, reeked of trade deadline move. And then it was like Taylor Hall also has a full no move. I was like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, well, to me, it makes sense because now he controls where he goes, essentially. Like, he can pick the contender where he wants to go. He doesn't have to get traded to a, a New Jersey um, who's who would get get bounced in the first round or Arizona who did the same this year. So I, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I understand that. Um, Tory Krug to St. Louis. You made a point before the show that you think St. Louis made out better here getting Tory Krug and letting Alex Petrangelo walk. Explain that one to me. Well, look. St. Louis doesn't have a ton of cap space either. They have a lot of guys locked up for not very long. And they're going to have to figure out ways to kind of maneuver the cap to get a guy like Jaden Swartz, 
Tyler Bozak are both free agents next year. Um, there's there's a bunch of guys on here, you know, who are you know Colton Pareko coming up soon, who are going to have to and Jordan Binnington. This is his last year under contract mm-hmm. as well uh, to get those guys locked up. And I think that they needed to save the cap space where they could, and they save uh, over two million dollars at two point three mil per year um, on signing Tory Krug over. Alex Petrangelo. Now I'm not saying that Tory Krug is as good as Alex Petrangelo. I don't think he is. I think that wage gap is actually fair. But when you have a team who, yes, I know they just won the cup, but they're probably not immediate cup cup contenders right now. And you're able to lock that up, take a look, add a little bit to your salary cap to maneuver in other places, sign your goalie who basically handed you a Stanley cup next year. I, I think that's really good for St. Louis. And look, I'm not going to say that Tory Krug is better than Alex Petrangelo. I don't think he is. But at the end of the day, he's younger. He's a year younger, $2.3 million cheaper, and the same tenure. So at the end of the day, in a couple of years down the road, if Vegas is cap-strapped looking for one more player and St. Louis has a little bit more flexibility, it's going to look a lot better for St. Louis than Vegas. I understand that the talent of player is different, but I think when you're working with a flat cap, and you have a couple of expiring contracts, it, it looks a lot better there. Interesting. I, I definitely agree with you in that regard in terms that I like the flexibility factor when it comes to St. Louis. I, I think St. Louis's biggest mistake in all this was trading for Justin Falk and giving him a big extension when that money could have easily been attributed to Petrangelo in this regard because, I mean – I don't even think Justin Falk is half the player that Alex Petrangelo is. But again, that is a completely separate conversation than what we are discussing here. So Krug to St. Louis, we'll keep going quickly. Um, Markstrom to Calgary, six by six. Um, Really interesting deal for me. I I think Calgary was in need of a goaltender. I mean, obviously the year they were first in the West, they had Riddich who went off. Mm-hmm. Um, this year it was a struggle to figure out who was the goalie between him and Cam Talbot, but I like Markstrom. I, I, he had a terrific year in Vancouver last year, um, ended up getting overshadowed by what Thatcher Demko did in the Vegas series. Um, just a hot goaltender getting right at the right time. But, um, the, I personally, I'm a fan of this Calgary deal. I, I'm not a huge fan of paying goaltenders in general, but I, I think if this shows a direction for Calgary going forward, maybe they do hang on to some of their stars because there were rumors that Goudreau was maybe going to be on his way out. Same goes for Monaghan. I don't know if that's still the case now, that that you're signing a goaltender for six years and giving him that type of money. That shows a direction that this team wants to compete. I don't know about you in terms of what you think the direction is for them going forward, but I don't, does it make sense for them to trade these guys now after making a move like this? I, I don't know. Stuff no, it doesn't make, doesn't make sense at all. Um, I, I like the deal. I, I would shy away from love, but I like the deal. Um, Markstrom needed a new home. Obviously, he got booted from the one spot in Vancouver uh, in those last three games of the playoff. And it was only it was a, a long time coming, honestly. We all knew what Thatcher Demko was. We all remember the World Juniors. Um, and we all know that this kid is a real stud. Um, and when he played in the regular season, he was very good as well. The last game before the lockdown was against the Islanders. And I tweeted something about, like, we should give Vancouver a lifetime of Long Island bagels for Thatcher Demko. They probably still wouldn't accept it. Um, but 
yeah, Markstrom's time in Vancouver was up. He goes to Calgary, same division, still a contender in that division for obviously, as we just spoke about, for second and third place because Vegas is probably going to lock up that first spot pretty early in the season. Um, so I like I like it. Uh, there were other goalie deals that I liked more, but Markstrom should be a good fit there. Calgary also adds Chris Tanev too, which is an interesting move for yeah. sure, who is probably – Vancouver's top right-hand defenseman, um, their second-best defenseman outside of Quinn Hughes. But um, so Calgary's pushing in that direction. They bring in everyone from Vancouver over. Um, the most puzzling thing to happen, in my opinion, was the Josh Anderson Max Domi trade, and it's not as much the trade as much as the extension that Josh Anderson got. I mean, seven years, five and a half million for Josh Anderson. What am I missing here? Because this seems ludicrous to me to sign a guy who had four goals last year. And yes, he was hurt, but to invest seven years in Josh Anderson, who has the talent for sure. Um, I'm not going to deny the talent, but this seems like an Alex Galchenyuk type situation. And obviously different circumstances in terms of Galchenyuk had a lot more distractions and issues off the ice. Whereas Josh Anderson is more of an issue of when will he put the talent together. And it seemed like he did the year prior, but man, to pay five and a half years over five and a half million over seven years here. I don't know that, that that's a dicey risk for Mark Bergevin and one I definitely don't agree with. Yeah. It's a head scratcher. No doubt. Um, I like Max Domi better as a player. I think that's just kind of like, agree. I, it's kind of the style I prefer, honestly, just a, a guy who can grit it out, drop the gloves, and, and, and is able to put a team on his back in, in some occasions in the physical aspect, of a Matt Martin type, if you will. Um, but And Max Domi gets a very moderate extension from Columbus, if I remember correctly. So to me, yeah, 5.3 mil over the next two seasons for Domi and Columbus, and he's only 25 years old. So he's going to get the free agent market again at 27 after these two years in Columbus. So I gets, I don't like it a lot. I know you're a big fan of Brendan Gallagher. I kind of winced at that one as well. Six years, six mil. That seems like a long time and a lot of money for Brendan Gallagher. And at the end of the day, Montreal, now I know they added to Foley. Um, to their team, and that—that's what I liked, by the way. Oh, loved, loved. Um, I hated it, the fact that he wasn't on the Islanders, but loved it for Montreal. <laughs> I think when you're looking at Montreal, you're looking at a team who has places to improve, and I think locking your guys up for and locking a guy who's never even played for your team for seven six years and handicapping yourself like that isn't really the way to go. I'm not saying blow it up for Montreal, but I would have liked to see shorter terms for both of those guys. Completely fair and couldn't agree more in that regard. I mean, just it just feels like those are deals that are going to end badly. Not that the Foley one, but specifically the Josh Anderson deal is um, one that I think a few years down the line we could be looking at and saying, what the hell was this? Because we said it at the time. But, hey, who knows? Maybe Anderson explodes. And um, the Gallagher one, I, I love Gallagher as a player. Um, I, I do think that contract's a little dicey given – his style of play given the potential injury history, but um, I, I like Gallagher and I, ha- I didn't really have much of a problem with that deal per se. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, let's shift to the Rangers real quick. I, I, I want to wait 
to see what happens in New York before we really dissect this Rangers offseason. But right now I'm left scratching my head a little bit. Um, Jack Johnson, the lone real signing. I mean, they brought Rooney in. They brought a few other guys in. But the only deal of real significance is bringing Jack Johnson in, who was one of the worst defensemen in the NHL last year, has been for a sizable amount of time. Is this really their replacement for Mark Stahl? I mean, why not? I If I'm in uh, Jeff Gordon's shoes or John David, uh, JD's shoes for that matter, I, I don't know why I make this deal in the first place. I think you have plenty of left-handed pieces. I think Keandre Miller should be a guy that's, in the big league club next year and should be playing every night. But I guess this is more of just a depth factor, but we've heard that before and it's turned out to be a lot worse than that. So this deal doesn't make sense to me. Their, their direction doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in terms of what they're going to do with Ryan Strome, what they're going to do with Tony D'Angelo, what's going to happen with Brendan Lemieux. There's a lot of question marks with this Rangers offseason, which is why I didn't really want to talk about it too much today. Cause I want to wait and see what happens, but um, Chris, I'm left scratching my head as, as to what the direction is for this team right now. And nothing says more about that than trading Mark Stahl away and then signing essentially the exact replacement for him in Jack Johnson. Um, yeah, I think you have every reason to be left scratching your head because you have to part with two legendary players from the team. One, the best goalie of all time. The other one is Mark Stahl. But, you know, two foundational pieces to the old core and it was like oh it's freeing up cap it's freeing up cap it's freeing up cap well then all these players go other places and you're not even in on it you're not even in on Alex Petrangelo you're not in on Mike Hoffman you're not in on all these other players I'm not saying that they're really going to sign either one of those guys but it just doesn't make a lot of sense why they would of all people go after Jack Johnson you know I think in Tony D'Angelo and Keandre Miller and um that Swedish guy what's his, isn't his name literally Lundqvist? Lundqvist. yeah Nils Lundqvist, uh, you have some solid pieces to kind of use as depth where you don't have to waste cap on Jack Johnson, who we know isn't going to be anything special um, when he puts on uh, the Ranger sweater. But yeah, it, it's certainly curious. Um, I would like to see them re-sign those RFAs. Um, it certainly looks like that's going to happen. Nobody's offer sheeted uh, really anybody so far. So certainly looks like that's going to happen. Um but yeah, it's curious, no doubt, for a team who is really just a couple defensive pieces away, in my opinion, from contending for the Metro Division crown. I think that that is a really fair expectation. For I, I, it hurts me to say that, you know that, but it it's a really fair expectation for a Ranger team who has one of the best first lines in the league, if not top second behind the Braden Point line one of the best young goaltenders in the league, if not the best, and a coach who is kind of coming into place. I know you're not his biggest fan, but he's coming into place here, and they had a really good end to their regular season before faltering in the qualifiers. So I think there's a lot of ways to go up with the Rangers, but they need a couple more defensive pieces, and Jack Johnson is not that. Yeah, so obviously a lot to wait and see when it comes to the New York Rangers. There's still a lot for them to do. I mean – you would think with buying out Lundqvist and trading Mark Stahl that there's a big move ahead at some point, but it doesn't seem like anyone is sure what that is at this point. So 
like I said, we'll just have to let the pieces fall into place and we will talk about it when it all happens, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of five on three. Chris was a lot to get to and we got to all of it and we went a little over than what we're used to, but it was because of necessity because there was a lot to digest in free agency and there's more to come. And when there is news that breaks, we'll be all over it from Chris Hennessy. I'm Jackson high. Once again, this has been another edition of five on three.